But if you've been with us for a while, you'll know that uh, we've been going through the book of Luke since last year, and we're probably going to go through it for another few years, because this is the longest biography of Jesus. Uh, the book of Luke is one of the four um, gospels, or we call them biography accounts of Jesus, and this is the longest one, the most detailed one. And each of the biographies have a, has a special purpose in what they're trying to, uh, they're trying to make a point. And we're slowly uncovering what that point is. And we're breaking up into different sections. So today, we're starting a series on chapter 8. And we call it God's family. Now, family is a very interesting thing because all of you guys at one point or so you still have a family, right? And for me and my family, well, two years ago, we introduced a new person into our family, and that's my daughter. And when we were t- thinking about, like, you know, is one child enough? Should we have another one? Should, I don't know. We went back and forth on this idea. Um, we looked at our son, Justin, and we said, you know, Justin's a pretty good kid. You know, he's very obedient. He likes to follow rules. And, you know, if there's another version, if it's, if it's a Justin 2.0, yeah, let's have another kid. So, so um, we prayed about it. And then, you know, um, one day Val's like, hey, I think I'm pregnant. And I'm like, great, okay. And one day we found out it's a girl. It's like, oh, I got to start thinking of names. And then the baby came early, and we we're like, we don't have a name yet. So we literally came up with a name at, at the hospital. <laughs> and, um, you know, but we were expecting, like, another version of our son. And let me tell you, she is not, okay? Okay, okay, because when you see a kid and they do certain things, you're like, oh, you're just like your dad, or oh, you're just like your mom. Let me tell you something about Maria, okay? She is not, not like Val or myself. She does things that makes us think, like, were you like that as a kid? She's like, no, were you? I'm like, no. Then where did that, where did she get that from? And okay, like for example, from what I heard, Val was a very quiet girl, okay? From what I heard from my parents, I was a pretty mellow, quiet boy, right? Mari, she screams like a pterodactyl, <laughs> like for no reason at all. It's not like, wah, like a baby. It's like, ah! And I was like, was that a dinosaur? <laughs> and that is our daughter. She's nothing like us. And if I, you know, if we had a choice, if Val and I had a choice of crafting a daughter, she would not be in, even in our radar, okay? I'm really happy with the, the child that God has given us, okay? But she was unexpected. I think that's the nicest way I could put it, because one day she's going to stream this service, and she's going to be like, uh, <laughs> love you. And so, um, yeah, but th- that's the thing is, some of you, you know, probably have experienced this before, but you're like, where did this kid come from? She's not like the mother. She's not like the father. She's not like her brother. Who, where did she get? Who, who, it must have been God because this is something that we could not come up with. She is so different from the rest of the family. She keeps us on our toes. We're walking on eggshells every day and we're tired. Whew, okay. Oh yeah, sermon. Okay. <laughs> so when it comes for God, right? When God is like, I want to create a family. God has a family and we are part of his family, right? The question I want to ask today is, who does God want in his family? If God is able to, and I'm sure he can because he can do all things, right? If God is able to craft his family, what are the qualifications that you need to have in order to be part of his family? And that, that's, it's like, oh, you, you mean there's types of people who don't belong in the family of God? And the answer to that is, is yes, but no, or maybe more no than yes. And, and you'll understand what I'm talking about after I explain this. God's family is an open invitation. The invitation card went to every single human being in this world. It's up to you to RSVP to show up at this family reunion. Okay, and depending on the type of person you are, depending on what kind of heart you have, 
Sometimes you take a look at the, re- the invitation, you're like, yeah, I don't want that. And some of you would say, I want to go, but I'm too busy to go, right? So the, who does God want in his family? He wants everybody to be in his family. But the issue here is not everybody wants to be a part of God's family or not everybody has the time to be a God, part of God's family. So today we're going to be looking at this one parable. It's probably the longest section in the Bible that, that talks about one parable. And this is found in chapter 8. And we're looking at the first few verses of chapter 8. And here, we're looking at the very question of what qualifications do you have to have to be a part of God's family? And it's a very interesting uh, parable. Uh, Most of you guys, even if you haven't been to church before, you've probably heard of this parable. But the way that we interpret it might be a little different because what we're doing today is we're not going to be looking at the modern translation of of this text. What I'm talking about is People have read this, this parable for years and years and years, and when we look back to the earliest ways that people interpreted this text, it's a little different from the way that we interpret it today. So we're going to be talking a lot about cultural context and stuff like that. If you guys are ready to nerd out with me, then you're at the right place. Okay, so let's get started. Chapter 8, verse 1. Here we go. After this, and this is everything that happened up to chapter 7, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Okay, let's stop right here. Now, up until this point of the story, Jesus is basically recruiting people to be a part of his team. He wants to start this new movement called the kingdom of God. He wants to create this new family of God. Okay, because so far, the family that was part of God wasn't doing so well. So God's like, I want to recruit a new group of people. Now, in the process of doing that, People paid close attention to Jesus, and as he starts recruiting people, the very people that you would think would be excluded from the kingdom of God are actually included. So, for example, there's a woman who's a prostitute, and Jesus says, she's part of my family. He goes to a person who's a tax collector who's usually shunned by society, and not only that, shunned by even people who are criminals. (laughs) Like, we're criminals, but we're not as bad as that guy. (laughs) Jesus goes to him and says, how would you like to be a part of my team? And so over and over and over again, Jesus is, is, is extending this invitation to the people that are the unlikely suspects. Meanwhile, the people that people, you know, like the people who would probably qualify as part of being God's team, like the people who are priests, people who are religious leaders, people who knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, they're the ones that actually, are actually being excluded because these people are taking the text and they're just filling their heads with all this information and they're just feeling like they're better than everybody else. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, I don't want you to part of my team. Okay, so in the part that we just read right now, it says that there's the 12 that are following him, which are basically a group of people who don't qualify in the old set of rules, okay, because in the olden days, they, you know, like if you were, like, rich, if you were, had a good, you know, if you had a good education, if you were a religious person, then you would be included. These people that Jesus is gathering around him are people who don't fit that description. So all, immediately in the first part of chapter 8, we know right away that Jesus has a group of followers that are not the usual group of people who should be following a rabbi. And then it says women. Women were also back then excluded from religious movements. Women were not allowed to be a part of these big movements. And so for the very fact that Jesus is walking around town doing some amazing stuff and the people who are surrounding him in every town are the people who are the, the, the people who are marginalized in society plus women, is causing a lot of buzz. Everybody's talking about it. What is going on here? Why is there such a big following of people who are usually marginalized in society? What is going on here, right? And then Luke, he records for us at least three names of the women who are following him. Here are the three names. 
First one is Mary Magdalene. Now, in case you want to know, Magdalene is not her last name. Magdala is a place that she came from. Okay, so just so you guys know, it's like Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. His parents are not Mary and Joseph Christ. Okay, it's, that's a title. Okay, so Mary from Magdala, or called Magdalene, from uh, whom seven demons had come out. Somebody counted, right? So, but not are you only a woman, you are also somebody who has reputation of being demon-possessed, which is like strike one, strike two, strike three, all the way down to seven. So there's no reason why she should be following somebody like Jesus. Then we have Joanna. Who's Joanna? We've never heard of Joanna before. Well, it says here that she is the wife of Chusa. Well, who's Chusa? I don't know. He's the manager of Herod's household. Herod. Herod is one of the big rulers over Israel, and he's super rich. He has so much money at his disposal, right? And he has so many servants and so many, he's like the evil bad guy in this story. All this stuff that he has is managed by a guy named Chusa, whose wife is Joanna, who is now following Jesus. She probably lives in the palace. She probably has servants of her own. And she realized, I would rather be out there walking, not knowing if I'm going to have a roof over my head tomorrow, helping the people who are marginalized than living in this nice palace. And then we have Susanna, which we really don't know anything about her. Her name just pops up. Maybe back then when they wrote this, they knew who she was, but we don't know who she is anymore. And there are many others. Now, the next part is really interesting because these women weren't just following Jesus. This is, this is, what, else, this is what, what they were doing. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. The reason why Jesus' movement was funded was because of these women, which is also kind of interesting because Herod's money is going to Chusa, and Chusa is helping his wife, and that money is what's funding Jesus. And he eventually overthrows Herod, so like he's funding his own demise, which is kind of interesting, right? Kind of poetic justice. Anyways, right, that's free information. Okay, but this is a very different kind of movement. People have not seen like anything like this before because usually women are not part of this, and not only are the women part of this movement, they're helping fund this very movement of reaching out to the people around them who are usually pushed this side of society. And so when things like that happen, people start gossiping. People start talking. People start, are like, they're like, what's going on? Let's, let's see what this is all about. And so when that happens, you get a large crowd, which is why the next verse starts this way. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. So these people who are gathering to Jesus are the people who are questioning, why are these people, like these people, like women, <laughs> like why would they be out here? Jesus is trying to address that very issue. And in that context, he gives this very famous parable called the parable of the sower. So let's get started on that. Here we go. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Now, this is very important, a farmer, and we'll come back to that word later. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Next. Other seed... Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still others, uh, other seeds fell on good soil. So we have four types of grounds that the seed fell on right now. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, whenever somebody says in the Bible, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear, that's basically an ancient like, mic drop. It's like, I just did something crazy amazing, 
you figure it out and just kind of walk away, right? So people are like, okay, we just heard something amazing, but I don't know what it means. And so they start talking about it. What does that mean? What did Jesus mean? What did he mean by the good soil? What did he mean by the thorny? What, is, what does all this mean? What does the seed represent? Now, these people, they, they didn't know what Jesus was talking about, but they were able to pick up on some clues, some hints that they were taught as children. First of all, the word farmer. When in this parable, the question is, who is the farmer? Now, when people think farmer, especially in the Jewish context, they think of, well, the farmer, the first farmer, the, the gardener, the very first person, the first character in the Bible who planted a garden. Who is that? It's God. God planted the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, right? And then you're like, well, he's scattering seed. We have no idea what the seed stands for. Um, but, oh, in Jeremiah 3, uh, when seed falls on the ground, they usually talk about the ground being like a state of the heart. Okay, so, so we know who the farmer is. We know what the ground is, but what's the seed? Uh, uh, seed, could it be? Uh, what, what could it be? What could it be? And so they started talking, and they were like, we have no clue. Jesus, give us a hint. Please tell us. And so the next verse goes like this. That his disciples asked him what this parable meant, which is a great question to ask because we benefit from it because we have to read about it now. Now, before we go into Jesus' answer of what this parable meant, I want to explain to you how one ought to interpret parables. So parables. All parables must be interpreted within its original historical and cultural context, but its application is timeless. You can't use modern eyes to look at parables, meaning you're like, seeds, seed. You know, seeds are really small. looks like a dime sometimes, so I'm thinking it's like money. And so when the farmer is sowing seeds, he's, he's throwing money at the issue. Yeah, that's what it means. Right? You can't do that, okay? You're like, oh, you know, sunflower seeds. You know, I see, you're like, no, like, you can't do that. You can't make up your own interpretation. You have to look back to the original, like when, when Jesus was talking about this, what did the hearers of this original message, what did they understand this passage to mean? That is where we have to start, right? So in other words, another way to put this is this. We have to interpret with first century eyes, but ask 21st century questions. The application of this, we could apply to today's context, but the text itself, we have to start with their context. Okay, so like I said, According to Genesis chapter 1, the original gardener, the original farmer is God. So we know that God is the one that's sowing the seeds. So what are the seeds? Well, Jesus tells us in the next verse. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Now, time out. When I say that the seed is the word of God, most Americans today think, oh, you mean the Bible? No. No, okay, because the Bible didn't exist back then. Oh, you're like, oh, yeah, you're right, because the New Testament wasn't written. Oh, you mean the Old Testament. I would say, yes, it's closer but when Jesus talks about the word of God in the context of the sower, the gardener, he's actually referring to a specific word that was spoken in the Old Testament. If, okay, let's, let's see if we could walk through this right now. Okay, so the gardener in Genesis chapter 1 is saying a word. What are those words? When he says, let there be light. Let there be an expanse between the sky and the, and, the, and the waters. Let there be land and water. Let there be plants, vegetation. Every time he opened his mouth, something good happened. So the, this story, and maybe this is kind of outside of your understanding of this passage, but bear with me. The image that Jesus is creating for us is a sower, and back then they had these big pieces of cloth that they wrapped around them, and they had a bag of seeds right here, and they just scatter it like this, you know, without really looking at where it actually lands, right? So they're kind of doing this. This is an image of God in the Genesis chapter 1, God speaking these good words. Let there be light. Let there be an expanse. Let, the, let, 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 let there be life, basically. 
let there be birds and fish and sashimi, yummy. You know, like he, he's like, let there be plants. Let not there be spiders, but let's have everything else, right? But like every time you open his mouth, good things came, right? And so when people are hearing the beginning part of this parable, the first image that comes to their mind is this, that God is good. It's like, I remember the stories of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. When God speaks, when he sows his words out into the, into the void, good things come out of it because God is good. And then he's scattering all these good things out there for everyone. In other words, the second part is this, that his gift of love is for everyone. If you remember this, the parable just now that we just read right now, he's not saying, I'm just going to scatter the seeds on the good soil because I know, you know the probability of this growing into a nice crop is a lot higher than those. He just gives it to every type of ground. Regardless of the outcome of how the plant grows, Jesus is depicting his father, God, as someone who is scattering goodness to every situation. God, every time he opens his mouth, goodness pours out. And that's the kind of world we live in right now. God has a gift of love for everybody. But according to this parable, only the good soil is the one that receives it well. So let's talk about the other three types of grounds. Okay, so let's start with the first one. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Okay, do you guys remember the original parable? This part, it says that, some fell on the, along the path, and people walked on it, trampled on it, and then the birds came and snatched it up. Remember that? Okay, so we have to remember a few things about this passage. When he talks about the path, okay, he's not talking about, like, well, okay, back in those days when people think about paths, they think about the Roman road made out of bricks, made out of whatever hard material they used back then. Okay, so some seeds landed there, okay, and as people, and a lot of people walked this path, as people walk down this path, they won't even take a look at the seed. They'll just walk right on top of it as they go on to their daily lives. And these paths were made by the Romans. By the way, in the story, Jesus says that the birds came in and snatched it away. In his translation, he calls it the devil. Okay? Now, in order to understand some of the images in the book of Luke, I'm getting really nerdy here, so just follow me. Okay? Whenever they talk about birds, when Jesus talks about birds in a negative way, he's usually talking about Caesar and the Roman Empire because the emblem of the Roman Empire was an eagle back then, okay? So he's talking about how the evil works of this world, which would be Rome and the empire, the oppressive empire. He's saying there's a group of people, which is most of us, who are walking along this path of life, okay? And as they're walking, because if you don't follow the way that the Romans want you to live your life, then there's oppression in your life. Okay, it's basically they're saying, if you follow our rules, then we don't have a problem. If, you know, so he's like, this path represents the people who are on their way to their daily lives according to the way that the Roman Empire wants you to live. So people, these, these oppressors want you to live a certain way, and if you live contrary to it, then you have a problem. So you live your life according to the way that the world wants you to live, and that's the imagery that he has here. So imagine this. God is spreading goodness in this world, but because you're so obsessed okay you're so obsessed with making sure that you're pleasing the roman empire or the way that the world wants you to behave because you're so obsessed doing that and you're so focused on that you don't even recognize the goodness that god has scattered around you you're too busy focused on the world so another way of putting this is this the seed that fell along the path god sows goodness in your life but you don't accept that gift because you are blinded by the world have you ever been in a place where 
there's goodness around you, your family loves you, you have a good job, you have enough money to eat today, but you don't even recognize the goodness around you because you're focused on making sure that you fit into the world. Because you can't get that one thing that everybody else has in, at school, right? You're like, I want that so bad. And you're like, man, my life is so bad because I don't have that one thing all along. If you just stopped and looked around, you realize that God has blessed you with so many good things. But because you're so focused on what the world tells you that you want, you're not paying attention to the things that are immediately around you. If you think that your life really stinks right now, this parable at this section is telling you you need to stop and pay attention to the seeds that God has sown around you because you're going to find goodness there. Stop focusing on what the world wants you to do because what you're, what, what, when you do that, you're blinded to the goodness that God has already given you. And for that reason, any goodness that God has given you, it's like the Roman Empire or the world powers or the devil has just come and snatched away all the good things that could have been in your life because you just ignored it. You're just blinded to it. So that's the first one. Seed along the path. The second one is the rocky ground. Let's see what Jesus says about that. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they, do not, they have no, no root. They believe for a while, but in, the, uh, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Okay, so this is the rocky ground. Um, and the, here, I'll just give you the answer right now. This is what the rocky ground is. You receive God's good gifts, but when the good gifts lead to conviction, you throw it away. God has given you good things. Right? Remember the first one on, along the path? You don't even recognize it. You just walk right on top of it, and they come and snatch it away. Right? And this one, you're actually receiving it. You're like, yes, I see the goodness. I'm so happy. God is so good. He gave me something good. Right? And then when these good things come into your life, you realize that these good things also comes with a list of responses. God has given you love. And now he says, now I want you to love other people. And you're like, I don't know if I want to love them. Uh, my neighbor is so, oh, I don't know if I want to love that person. And you're convicted, like, oh, God loves me and I received this gift, but I don't want to pass it. Oh, my goodness, what should I do? You know what? Being Christian is too hard. <laughs> Being, like, receiving good gifts requires something of you. And when that thing that requires something of you is too hard for you, you toss it away. That is the rocky ground because you're convicted and you don't like being convicted by the Holy Spirit. So you're like, oh, okay, I'm just going to move on, do the next thing. That's the second category. The, remember, the first category along the path are the people who are like, I don't even see this goodness around me. The second category is, I see the seed around me, the goodness that God has given me, I accept it, but I don't think I'm ready to hold on to this because this is just too much responsibility on my part. Then we go to the third category. The seed that fell among thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, those three things, worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. Okay, this is what that means. You receive and embrace God's gift. Remember, the first one was you don't receive it because you don't see it. The second one is you actually receive it, but you don't want to hold on to it. The third one, you actually receive and embrace it, but you can't trust God and, and you can't let go of yourself. Once you have these good things in your life and you hold on to it that God has given you, okay? At this point, you realize, oh my gosh, I can't give away the things that God has given me. Why? Because if I were to bless the people, if I were to become generous, and if I were to help the people around me, what does that leave for me and my family? And so all of a sudden, the worries and the riches and the pleasures of your life holds you back from actually doing the things that God wants you to do. 
God wants you to contribute to the, prob- to, to the solution of the problems of this world, but you can't do it because you're, you're too busy worrying about yourself. You can't, you're trying to trust God. Like, I know, God, you're going to take care of me as I try to care for the world, but I don't know if I have that much trust in you. And I, it's because I, I want to hold on to my own comfort and my own pleasure and my own riches. I just want to hold on to all these things. So I don't think I could do that. So he's like, that's the third category. So you see this progression. Don't you guys see this progression? First, you don't even accept it because you don't see it. Second one, you take it, but, but you let go of it so easily because it requires so much of you. And the third one is you hold on to it, and, but then you realize my life is worse now because I have this war inside of me. I want to hold on to it. I love it, but I love myself just as much, and so I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, I think I love myself more, and so I'm just going to let go of God's good gift. And then we come to the fourth kind of ground, which is this. It's the good soil. The seed on good soil stands for uh, those with noble and good hearts. Jesus reiterates, this is an issue of the heart. It's not that if you get this seed, you'll have a good and noble heart. He's saying, if you have a good and noble heart, then it's easier for you to accept these, these good gifts that God has for you. And who hears the word, retain it, and uh, perseveres. Uh, persevering produces a crop. So he talks about these three obstacles. He's like, if you have overcome these three things, then you're able to produce a crop. A crop. I'm sorry, I think the next slide is the same slide as this one, right? Yeah, okay, sorry about that. Okay, okay. So he's saying, if you want to be a big asset to the kingdom of God, you have to overcome these three obstacles because God has given you good things Every single day, God has not stopped speaking. Genesis 1 and 2, he spoke, and good things happened every time he spoke, and he has not stopped speaking. And if you just look around you, you'll find the goodness of God. But if you're in the first category, you don't even see it because you're so busy focusing on pleasing the world. If you're in the second category, you see the goodness that God has given you, but it's like going to a retreat or something and being like, wow, God is so good. I'm going to make these commitments to do something good about it. And you come home and you're like, eh, whatever, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it requires so much of me. The third category is more internal. This internal battle of I, I have the goodness of God that I noticed it and I picked it up. I held on to it. But the sacrifice it requires me to give, I, I can't do it. But if you overcome that, if you could deny yourself, then you end up in the fourth category where you are a big asset to the kingdom of God. In other words, this, this parable is about receiving and embracing God's gift of love and persevering with it. You see, God wants to do good things in your life. I think there's some uh, like talks about how God is like a judgmental God who just can basically wants to punish people <laughs> whenever they have the chance. According to this parable, God is good and he can't stop giving good gifts. And it's been given to every single person in this world if you have the heart for it. Here's another point I want you to know. God is always giving away his love, so pay attention to your heart. Is your heart receptive to the goodness that he has for you? You see, this fits perfectly with the context of what we've been talking about. You see, because there is these women who are following Jesus, and the question is, what are these women doing here? They, they don't qualify to being a part of God's family, being, being, being a part of God's movement. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you think gender has something to do with this whole thing? 
you think to be a part of God's family, you have to be a certain, certain gender or race, because in the Old Testament, they believe they have to be a Jewish person to be a part of God's family. Or you think this is about following rules, because in the Old Testament, the more you follow the rules that you follow, the more commandments you followed, the more you were seen as God's family, right? It's like, you think it has to do with rules? You think it has to do with gender or race? Really, you think so? Because if in all, ca- all, all those cases, we have a demon-possessed woman here that was, you know, that was, and then we have somebody that works for the enemy right here, you know, and they are women, right? Like, can you really, you know, like, no, these people are part of my movement because they have good soils. They have a good heart. They're willing to see the goodness around them. Joanna lived in a palace, and she realized that there's no good here, but the goodness of God is over here, so he, she started following Jesus. And it's like, that's why she's a part of this movement. Not because they're, you know, they fit the cultural norm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. No, they follow me because their hearts are receptive to it. And they're willing to hold on to it no matter what comes their way. So you might be thinking this, okay? You're like, wait a minute, Kotz. Okay, thanks for the four um, categories of the state of the heart. To be honest with you, Pastor, I feel like I'm actually not at the good soil. I feel like, actually, I feel like I'm along the path. Or here, let me show you the four again right here. I feel like I'm along the path. You know, I'm blind to God's gifts. God has given us so many good things, and I feel like, uh, like I'm not there. Or some of you are like, oh, no, I feel like I'm among the thorns. Like, I, I'm just self-obsessed. I just want to take care of myself, and that's all that matters to me. And cost, what can I do? Is, is, does this mean that I could never receive God's good gift? And the answer to us here is no. This is not the end of your story. Because, this is very important, if you understand rabbinical teachings, Jesus is a rabbi, he taught in this style of rabbinical teachings, whenever a rabbi gives you four categories of something, it's not meant to say these are the four states that one of you guys are in. It's to say that the first category I just, repre- that I just told you and the last category I just told you about is actually a progression. It's an evolution from stage one to stage four. So in other words, you could put an arrow on each of those things. So what it means is if you are the kind of person that's along the path, right, if you're a seed that, fell, that you're like, I just don't see God's goodness because I never stopped to look. The good news is if you actually stop to look and you're like, wait a minute, I do see God's goodness in me. You know what? Today I get to eat. And that is better than most people in the world. God is so good. Today, I was able to have a good time with my friends. A lot of people in this world don't get to do that. Today, I was able to worship freely. A lot of people don't get to do that. God has blessed me in certain ways. I, I, I just have to count my blessings. Yes, and now you move into stage two, which would be the rocky ground. Now that you receive God's goodness, you're like, I'm kind of comfortable with this. You know, I like this. I, and then God's like, now I've given you something good. Like, I've given you forgiveness. Now I want you to go and forgive your enemies. And you're like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. That I've been avoiding this person. I actually enjoy this relationship of just avoiding each other because I don't have to deal with these things. And God's like, well, I gave you the good gift of love and forgiveness. I require you to do this. And you're like, ah, uh, but then you overcome it. You're like, you know what? He's given me a good gift. I'm going to do something about it. And you do it, and, you, right? and then you move into the third category, the category of amongst thorns. I want to do good things, but I'm too obsessed about taking care of myself. To which Jesus, somewhere in his biography, he actually said, you know, you have to learn to deny yourself, die to self, carry the cross, right? He's basically saying, this world is more than just about you. So far in this story, you felt like I was here just blessing you. Well, now you're in stage three, you need to understand this. That I'm in the business not just blessing you, but blessing the world. And sometimes that requires you to sacrifice. Now, if you get past that, 
then you're in stage four, where you are now an active participant in God's kingdom. So the question that I asked you in the beginning is, what does God look for in his family? Do you have to overcome all three of these stages until you get to the fourth stage and now you're part of God's family? No. Basically what Jesus is saying here is, if you're on this trajectory, if you are somehow moving from category to category, then you are automatically part of God's family. That God has given you something good and you say, Lord, thank you so much for this good thing. I accept it, but you know what? I need to move on to the next stage of being able to do something with it. If you're there in that transition, welcome to God's family. If you're already a person who's like, yes, I'm doing something with it, but now it's come to a point where I have to be more sacrificial. And it's hard to make that transition by working at it. Welcome to God's family. And if you're like, well, okay, I finally was able to deny myself and do the good things that I'm supposed to do for this world, right? And now I'm an active participant in God's kingdom. He says, good job, good and faithful servant. Welcome to my family. Every step of the way, God says, if you're on this trajectory, then you are part of God's family. And these women that are following me and these 12 people that you would usually shun out of society, they've all been on that, that, that journey. They are part of my family. Now, the interesting thing about this process is that once you get to category four, good soil, right, and you're like, oh, I'm doing good things for God, chances are you'll go all the way back as a better person now, right, to category one, and you have to do it all over again. And it's an ongoing cycle because eventually when you get to doing God's good, good kingdom work, then you eventually get to a point where you're like, you know, you're so focused on doing things for God that you forget about the blessings that God has given you. And so it's, it's a cycle. But as long as you're somewhere in the cycle, you're part of God's family. You see, the people who are not, who excluded themselves from being part of God's family, the religious rulers and so forth, those are the people who felt like they've already arrived. They're like, there's nothing else I have to work on because you know what? I'm fine. I'm part of God's family. Yeah, sure. But if you look at their actions, you realize they only care about themselves. They're not willing to make sacrifices for the poor. They're not willing to pray for their enemies. They're not willing to do any of the things that Jesus is teaching, right? So he's like, the reason why these 12 guys and these three women and more are part of my family is because they're willing to make the stride to go through this process. And for that reason, they are a part of my family. Now, one of my favorite Bible teachers, his name is Kent Dobson. He's not related to James Dobson, but Kent Dobson, he, he, uh, he's a Bible teacher and he studied in Israel because he was just obsessed with the life of Jesus. And uh, he wrote a few books and a few commentaries. This is what he said about this parable. He said, at its core, the parable of the sower is really about preparing your heart to receive the goodness that God is ever sowing. God is always giving good gifts to everybody, regardless of what you believe. You don't even have to believe in Jesus to realize that God is giving you good things. Okay? But it's really a matter of, but my heart isn't ready to receive it. And that's why I do not see the God, you know, God's goodness in my life. See, because in the Old Testament, before the time of Jesus, in the Old Testament, God's family was, you called yourself a family of God if you were Jewish. You called yourself a part of the family of God if you followed the rules. You were part of the family of God if, if you were a male or if you weren't poor, if you didn't get sick. Basically, these are the things that people look for to say, ah, you're part of God's family. And Jesus is flipping that rule upside down. And the rest of chapter 8 talks about this. And if you want to read ahead, you can right? But basically he's saying, you know what you need to do in order to be a part of God's family? Jesus would say this, you need to check your heart. Check your heart. Because the invitation went out to everybody. 
every single person, even the people you feel like that don't deserve to be a part of God's family, that person has been given the invitation to be a part of God's family. The only thing that's holding everybody back from being part of God's family is the state of your heart. And that's what this parable, is, is, that's how this parable is interpreted in the early centuries of Christianity. So the question I have for you is this. Do you see the goodness of God around you? Or are you too busy with the things of this world? Complaining, like, oh, I'm a victim of this, I'm a victim of that. And yeah, there's definite merits, merits to that, okay? But if that is getting in the way of recognizing the good things God has sown around you, then you're in category one. The second question I have to ask you is this. Are you in category two, where you have received God's goodness, but you just want to toss it away because it's inconvenient for you, because the thing that requires for you to do? Are you in category three, where it's hard to deny yourself because you just care about making sure that you're taken care of? Or are you in category four? I'm able to selflessly love the people around me because I'm part of God's kingdom. Wherever you are, if you're striving to move to the next stage, then you are part of God's family. And my prayer for everybody here today is that you are somewhere in this, on this path that God has set for you because God is a good God and he's always wanting to give you more good, more, more good gifts. And what we do with that is the big question Jesus is talking about. Amen? Okay, let's pray.